Hi, Betsy. I'm so happy to have you here today uh, as a guest on Unfounded. Our topic today is the kids are all right. Uh, and when it comes to student entrepreneurship and the powerful role that it has in startup culture, I can't think of anyone right now I'd rather talk to about it than you. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. As you know, we have three questions that we're going to use to explore this topic. One looks to the past, one speaks to the present, and the third looks to the future. And as you also know, uh, we've shared with each other in advance questions one and two, those about the past and the present. But question number three, the one about the future, that's the wild card. And we have not shared that with each other in advance. Uh, no formal bios on this show, but for anyone watching or listening that wants to learn a little bit more about Betsy's incredible career as an entrepreneur, as a founder, as a mentor, as an educator, you can check it out in the show notes. But in lieu of formal bios, uh, I've asked Betsy, as I have asked all guests, to pick three words to describe herself before we jump into the conversation. So Betsy, hit me with your three words. <laughs> oh God, Melissa, it's a tough one, but I'm going to go with passionate, uh, principled, and a doer. I have to say those are the three. Sum me up. Thank you so Girl, much. Girl, I got, yeah, I gotta say, not really have, you know, having you as a new friend, uh, I'm, I stand, I stand for those, those words. Like you, you are, you are those things. Um, and, and how important they are for the work that you do today. Um, okay. So the kids are all right. The past, present, and the future of student entrepreneurship. So let's do this. All right, Betsy, get in your time machine. I'm going to ask you to go to the past for this first question. So we're looking backwards. Um, I think startup culture has its roots in a lot of complicated mythology, uh, much of it pretty alienating to non-male, non-white, non-privileged people. And so looking back, uh, how do you think this may have shaped student entrepreneurship and the massive amount of programming that built up around it uh, very rapidly over the last decade or two? Melissa, this is an awesome question, which I could talk about for a very long time. And I think that, you know, if I distill it down, um, what's been built up around with the universities is very similar to what's been built up around the world around ecosystems. And, you know, I think anytime you're building any kind of infrastructure or programming um, in the past, it always starts informally. And informal networks are always a place um, I call kind of call them a petri dish of cognitive bias and networks and so it, they favor the people who are in the know and so i think that you know like the startup bro culture that permeates silicon valley i think that that kind of transcribed into some of the universities right it was kind of the the men typically had the money had the wherewithal kind of could take risk there's a big difference between how men and women perceive risk and are able to take risk and so I think that perpetuated in a lot of university programs. Um, and so to create diversity in anything means you need intentionality. And so I think that that's kind of what we're, we're working on today. Yeah, I guess it's sort of uh, cultures like a snowball, right? You can't just put your hand up and decide to stop it as it's rolling down the hill. So um, I feel you on that. I'm not supposed to respond, but I always do. When I was um, running a startup accelerator many moons ago, I think before even I was aware of, of how narrow these tropes were, um, my partners ordered a, a five tap kegerator an AV system and, uh, and ramen noodles. And they were like, this is all you need for entrepreneurship. And I thought to myself, 
like there wasn't even a tampon in sight, uh, let alone any kind of uh, cognitive awareness about, you know, what other experiences might look like for those that couldn't sit around and drink beer all night uh, and use the fancy AV system. So I think, um, I think so and, much is uh, afoot. And I think that that perpetuated, sorry, I'll just respond a little bit. It, <laughs> what we really saw was that more men were coming to university and kind of saying that they want to be the next Mark Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs, yeah. Elon Musk, I mean, the list goes on. And there's not a lot of role models um, out there for women. You know, I'm very thankful to the Sarah Blakely's of the world and Spanx and her story. Like, I love that of having kind of just this pain point in the world that she wanted to solve and the passion that she took to kind of take Spanx to market and what, what it took to do to do that. And so we're just trying to create more more diversity because people solve problems that they relate to. And if you have only, you know, men of a certain background in an accelerator program, you're just going to solve problems that that appeal to them. So to build real diversity, we have to look at that properly. All right, Betsy, your turn. Take me to the past with your question. Well, I'm very interested in your past. What was like the worst advice you got as an entrepreneur? that you keep hearing today that perpetuates? Like what? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's so, so much, uh, so much bad advice. Um, hmm, this is a good one. Uh, and I didn't see it in advance. So you, I really am Sorry, thinking about I, authentically. No, it's good. Um, I think some of the worst advice I got was around the that the pressure that you needed to uh, that everything was performative i think there was a lot of pressure early on in my entrepreneurial experience what, that everything was performative right and it was and it was all about like what did people think about it and think about you and certainly there's a performative aspect to business building you need to have a strong compelling story that attracts people to you but i i think that when they said it there was it was embodied in that that the performative part was to look the way you were supposed to look for the part, right? You wanted to you wanted to emulate and be like the heroes and the 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 archetypes that we um, that we most honored. And there was just a huge delta between that and reality, really, in most cases. But certainly that and where my true strengths were as a business builder and as an innovator and entrepreneur. And I think. I spent so much time worried about the performative aspects and whether or not I was likable enough and whether I was telling the story in the right way and whether I was being perceived in a way that was um, you know, entrepreneurial and cool that you know, it really um, distorted uh, my own relationship with, with, my, with my work and what I was doing. And I think there's still today just, an, and I understand why, but I think today there's a, there's a, a kind of, gravitation to the performative sides of startup culture, focusing on the pitch and having students and, and older entrepreneurs even spend so much time on the pitch, but really not coaching them or supporting them on the actual operating side of building the business, right? And I think there's just still work to be done there to see that you need to be a strong storyteller. I mean, all founders, right? Your CEO, your chief storyteller, but that that's a little different than having everything you do be just purely performative. And I think for a long time, you could play founder without even being one. Uh, and I found that um, disorienting and pretty confusing um, as I was coming into my own identity as an entrepreneur, so yeah. That, that's, um, that's a great, I love that story. 
Yeah, that's true. I still sometimes, you know, I still sometimes have that. Okay, uh, so um, now we're back to today, uh, the terra firma of the future, uh, the terra firma of the present. Um, I actually changed this question up on you. It's not the one I shared with you because I just had a feeling we would cover it and we did. Um, but I know you're, I know this question is going to be close to your heart. Um, what aspects of student entrepreneurship do you think is changing the fastest today? And would you have predicted uh, if you had been asked, um, maybe even when you took on this role, like not even distance past, but you know, what's changing the fastest in student entrepreneurship, either in how the students are participating and behaving or, or how you're servicing them? Um, and would you have predicted that that would have been the change that um, catalyzed so quickly? Again, a great, a great question. So I think the biggest change I see right now is, you know, that the current the current zeitgeist is, is almost changing away from that profitability, that like pitch deck, that business plan to impact, you know, the focus on sustainability and climate and, and impact and, and how people can be a force for good. Um, and what I see in student entrepreneurship, you know, like kind of rewind a couple of decades ago, people really needed to learn the basics of like how, how to build an Excel spreadsheet and a profit and loss and an income statement and, and how to build that business plan. And so they took courses on that and they still take courses on that because that's something you need to know. But honestly, anyone who has Google Docs, right, you can just get your mm -hmm. business plan template like in an instant and you fill in the little yeah. forms and there you go. And that was kind of a year's worth of learning. Um, yeah, true. So I feel like it's fast forwarded that the the problems that student entrepreneurs are trying to solve have become much more complex, much more interdisciplinary, much more global. And um, I love that because it's no longer the institution and the university telling the students, this is what you need to know to become an entrepreneur. Almost the students are telling the university, this is what we need help on to drive our business forward. And so there is a wonderful exchange of ideas and programming so that the, the more um, experienced professors and you know, advisors at the university can put that lens of experience onto the new ideas. And I think that's rapidly changing. Um, at Northeastern, we have a fabulous um, student-led ecosystem where every single college has a dedicated group on dedicated to entrepreneurship. So in our College of the Arts, Media and Design, we have something focused on entrepreneurship called Scout. Likewise in the engineering school, likewise in our health sciences school, in the business school, of course, in the College of Science. And all of those groups come together to help ventures build because as you and I both know, having started a lot of businesses, it's fine to have a fancy MBA from a, from a top school, but you can't build a business unless you have your coders and you have your designers and you have your marketers and you have all those people who bring that team together. So I think um, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that the, the problems that these students want to um, solve are, are just getting bigger and better and more impactful. Yeah. I love that makes me so hopeful um, that the that the kids the kids don't need help now using Google to make a business plan. What they need is support to build innovative models that really transcend um, the operating models of the past to really deliver value in new ways. Like that makes my like heart sing. Also, go Huskies! It just may happen to be that I went to graduate school at Northeastern. So, um, shameless plug for my for my alma mater. So, um, that's so powerful and makes me so happy inside. All right, uh, Betsy, hit me up with your question about the present. 
Um, well, I just wanted to know with your VC lens and you have a lot of experience talking to students and, and what you're seeing, what are you seeing from the, the standpoint of uh, somebody who's, who's investing in ventures? What are you seeing coming out of the universities and the students? You know, I, I don't think I'd even thought about it uh, until this moment, but the way you just framed it, I think that if you really want to be part of the future, you, you, you have to make space for the future to come to you. You have to let the students start to drive new thinking in entrepreneurship and business building. And I think you're spot on that uh, not just you know values shifting, but but structurally globalization. People you know students building global businesses from day one, wanting to solve global problems. Um, I think that that's a really powerful shift, um, and I think in some ways taking us thankfully just miles and miles away from yet another you know social shopping app, which is what so many students were pumping out you know some years ago was just sort of just done ideas, which which is great. Um, you know, I think the, the other thing that I'm starting to come to terms with is how rigid our thinking has been around the uh, team structures and hierarchies inside of organizations. And I think younger entrepreneurs um, are, are, are gravitating towards less hierarchical models for building organizations, which I think is all tied to what you were just talking about, just thinking differently about how you create and deliver value in the world. And so some of the coaching that we give them was pretty formulaic about how to build a board, how to build a team, how to do this, where really what I think the opportunity is, is to take our experiences um, some of the bad ones, especially, and rather than just try to like commute to them, the template instead work with them to iterate on how they're thinking about connecting all the pieces to make what they want to have happen real. And certainly with universities, you have such an incredible amount of, of talent and IP and technology, but you also have just a new generation of humans that want to um, deliver value and build things. I think it's not always about hard tech, right? It's just new ways to deliver deliver value in the world. And so when I look at uh, companies on the other side of that, when looking at evaluating them or supporting them um, as they grow, I really do think that there's a, an opportunity to, to break some of the templates, to dissolve some of the formulas and let that generation of entrepreneurs be co-creators of the next toolkit, of the next playbook, where, where I took the playbook from the guy that handed it to me and I tried to execute it perfectly. And then later um, modified it and passed it off to the to the next generation. I think really with where we are in the world today, we just have a, a better opportunity to just truly co-create uh, with the entrepreneurs and then the mentors and advisors and the investors really, really rewrite the rules of how we build businesses and how we fund them and how we deliver value. Well, that's, and, and you what I think. make such a good point that I, I wanted to also say, which is the world has changed so dramatically that the process uh, is so quickly iterative, right? So back, you know, when we were students, you want to take a business plan to market, like there was a lot of capital required, a lot of things, a lot of printouts at Kinko's and all sorts of things. Yeah. Now, now you got to spend it on people. And now it's just, it's just people and you can iterate yeah. in a nanosecond and you can take a product to market. It doesn't hit, you know, you do some awesome Kickstarter campaign, see if people will buy your product ahead yeah. of time. I mean, there's so many ways that are just validating business concepts in, in real time, which never happened before. Yeah. So totally um, different. Yeah. Agreed. It's awesome. Okay, Betsy, buckle up. We're making a time jump. We're back in my time machine. Uh, we're off to the future. 
Um, so when I was in high school, the graduating seniors used to publish a last will and testament where they would bequeath something to the underclassmen. Yes, it went in many, many directions. Um, some, uh, you know, make, you know, make you blush. Um, but I, I always uh, stuck with me this. It was the first time I felt like I had the opportunity to bequeath something. Um, what would you like to bequeath to the next generation of student entrepreneurs? Um, something you'd really like for them to have, even if it doesn't exist today? Oh my goodness, what a question. Um, so if I could bequeath, first of all, I would, I would focus on, on women and I would want to em empower them. Um, how am I gonna say this properly? To believe in themselves more to think big, to take risk, ask for help. Um, and it's this innate power that I just have to talk about this for a second that I just see time and time again with women entrepreneurs of all ages, right? They can be 18 or they can be 68. Um, that they don't Women tend to be such perfectionists, as you said, they tend to have all of their T's crossed and their I's dotted and they have everything, but they, they don't scale their business idea as big as, as men do. And I think that that sometimes holds them back. And so if I could bequeath anything, it would be this visceral, just innate um, feeling that they can do it, that they are not being compared, that they are not living up to some model that was created by men, yeah. that they can be out there solving these amazing global world problems and the world is their oyster. I don't know that an anti-aging skin cream. <laughs> I'm imagining little, um, little vials of swagger that you could just pop <laughs> off and just like have like the, you know, I don't, I don't think, um, I think it's changing quickly and, uh, you know, one woman's experience is different than others, but the swagger, the way we teach swagger uh, to boys and girls, uh, at least up to this point has been different. And so, yes, now I'm imagining little, little uh, ampules of swagger and you could just have a couple until you sort of could self-generate swagger. You could just kind of hit it when you needed that little extra like swag, that sort of obnoxious swag that um, you just need every once in a while to like- Well, there you go. Out. Here we have a yeah. business idea. Swag, <laughs> instant swagger. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right. Betsy, launch me into tomorrow. Ask me about the future. Well, I'm going to ask you a little bit this, this same kind of question, which is, you know, we're in this place in the world, Melissa, where we, um, we know that women founders are, are held back, that they don't have the same access to capital resources and networks. We know that women don't leverage their networks as much as men do. Um, they're not willing to ask for favors. They, um, you know, the venture capital numbers are what five to 10% of venture capital on a good year goes, goes to women. We are desperately trying to redress this balance on a global basis. And, and there's so many actions, there's so many people doing things, but it seems to be very stuck. If I could give you like a crystal ball, a magic powder, like what would you do today if you could wave your magic wand so that in the future we had equality in entrepreneurship between men and women and, and all diversity? What do you think we need to be doing? Yeah, um, to your point, there's so much and there's so much going on here with race and gender that um, you, it's a whole systemic thing, right? So, but putting that aside, let's imagine that I could fix one thing. I've, I've actually 
I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, in my experience through the years, um, I think people have incredibly underestimated how much informal training people get when they come from networks of privilege and, and particularly in gendered environments and how much informal training by osmosis um, you get coming up when you're plugged into that. And for so many women and for many entrepreneurs of color, again, not all, but for so many, the, uh, the cultural constructs are huge barriers to that informal training. And those entrepreneurs are stuck to learn everything by effort versus osmosis. And the, the, time, the time debt, the energy debt, the effort debt of having to cobble your way to every insight that you just don't even realize the neighbor who's plugged in is getting by virtue of walking around their community, just walking around town, hanging out in those groups. I would wave my magic wand and I would give all of those of us who have had to learn um, solely by effort versus osmosis, I would, I would delete that. And I'm not sure I would give everyone, I think I would take osmosis away, not so much that I would, that I would wish everyone to just be able to have it. Um, I think I'd almost just, I'd eliminate the, the that imbalance uh, there. And I know that if we could do that, it would lean into so many of the friction points that you described, uh, that so much of what is important when you're running a company, particularly as a first-time entrepreneur. It's like, it's just this cosmic um, soup of your skills, your intuition, your confidence, your network. And there's, if, if all of it is by effort, it's like you're running a hundred yard dash, but you're starting, your block is way back everybody else's. So when the gun goes off, people in front of you have already crossed over that milestone and you're kind of just catching up. So I think if I had a magic wand, I would solve for the inequities of osmosis, uh, particularly for uh, entrepreneurs who were not lucky to be born into networks of privilege. Amen. Va -va -voom. I actually have a, right here on my board, it just says, fuck osmosis. Those who learn by effort, not by the good fortune of being proximate to knowledge. That's what I'm like, I, so I, it's funny, you bring, I literally been thinking about it every day. Like, like Well, osmosis. it's very much in keeping of that, you know, your value is what you know to the power of who you know, right? You know. Yeah. That who you know, those those networks are very important. And, you know, I came from a family of some privilege and I know that from where I was, right? I was nine years old and I came up with a little idea and my stepfather was a lawyer and he went off and he, he um, patented my little invention, which was a little pin. And he came home and said, you're CEO of this company now and I've incorporated you. And here you uh, at nine years old, I was walking around going, I'm the CEO of my company. And I have a patent. I mean, like, how annoying was that? Right. Never sold a thing, by the way. Never, like that never went. Yeah, anywhere. but that's but that's osmosis, right? That, that's that's, an, that's osmosis. A, an example an, of that. Yeah. And an early day, yeah. age, I was told you can do anything. And a lot yeah. of people are not told that. And we have to remember that. And that's why I have I have become a kind of a rabid feminist with with a really bleeding heart liberal. I want to you know give checks to everyone. I want to help everyone. 
And um, yeah, anyway, so here we go. And since I don't have a magic wand, I I will say one practical thing that we can do around this osmosis uh, issue is destigmatize that experience. Because I think there's a temptation to make it seem like, oh, you can Google your way to victory. And if you just, if you just worked harder, you'd know what everyone knows. And again, I, it's not to say that there isn't an incredible amount of of information um, at, at a person's fingertips. But I think when you really take into the full account, a lifetime of having to learn by effort versus osmosis, we then make a lot of shame around that you don't know these things that you should just know, you should just know them, right? And I think we can do a lot to create different on-ramps and different points of entry to make that process of coming up the curve, not only to make it go faster, to make the effort easier, uh, but to make it be you know, safe and joyful and not somehow a, like a, a burden that you have to carry because you just weren't blessed enough to be popped into that environment. So. Um, um, so there's there's magic wand, and then there's like, all right, what are you going to get up today and do differently? So at least um, I kind of think about both depending on my mood. So, well, that's right. it. We got to the end. It's finished. <laughs> it's like, I'm telling you, time machines move fast. They um, do. What a wonderful, wonderful program. And I, I would love to continue this conversation with you because I have so much more to say on on redressing that that balance and, and, uh, and helping dispel the osmosis or bringing the osmosis to the people or something like that. So anyway, yeah, there's, awesome. there is so much we can, we can, we can do. And so thank you again. Uh, thank and you. I just thank look you. forward to seeing you uh, very soon uh, in person, of course. So thanks. Thank you. 